Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, As they approached Jerusalem at Bethage near, and, and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door, outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front of those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. On the next day when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance of fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. I want you to listen carefully to an article entitled The Fascinating Anatomy of the Presidential Motorcade by Tyler Rogaway. And I quote, The presidential motorcade is both the safest and seemingly the riskiest convoy on the planet. This globe-trodden fleet of vehicles is basically a rolling armored White House complete with its own contingency response force, communication office, press corps, and medical facilities. The presidential motorcade is built from a fleet of both custom and sometimes rented vehicles. A finite amount of presidential limousines exist, with between 16 and 20 being an estimate. Careful planning and a logistical symphony has to take place in order to pre-position the most capable and usually newest vehicles based on the threat level and operation environment at each destination. Rogaway explains in, the de in detail the motorcade which includes presidential helicopters, a route and pilot car, sweepers, a lead car, presidential limousine, control and support vehicles, counter-assault vehicles, intelligence vehicle, a hazmat unit, press vans, an ambulance, communications vehicles, and rear guard as a defense buffer. The White House arm of the Secret Service is a national treasure. They have a mind-blowing difficult job and they deserve much more recognition than they will ever receive. The fact that the most powerful and targeted man on earth can drive around where he wants to go on a regular basis and it all seems normal and uneventful is just a reminder of that, end of quote. When the motorcade reaches its destination and the President of the United States steps out, some will say, here is the most powerful man in the world. 
This morning in the text before us, we come to Mark chapter 11. The event is known as the triumphal entry. The event took place on Palm Sunday. And from a world's perspective, there is not anything really fancy about the text before us. There were no news reporters. There were no photographers. There were no presidential motorcade. Just a few disciples, a cult, a multitude of, of observers, and a man named Jesus. Servant and Savior. The God-man, uh, the Messiah. You see, the Jews expected the Messiah to come riding in on a white horse. They expected the Messiah to conquer and take back Jerusalem from the Romans. However, Jesus came as a lamb. He came to serve. He came to offer forgiveness. He came to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Yet the reality, this Jesus is not only the most powerful man in the world, this Jesus is the most powerful man in the universe. And if you do not yet know my Jesus in a real and personal way, this morning I want to introduce him to you. For the next few moments, I want to lay three truths on your heart in a message that I've simply entitled, Here Comes the King. If you're token, taking notes, I want you to notice first, the plan. Now, this is not just any plan, this is his plan. It's a plan that was in place before the foundations of the world. It's a plan that we see here unfold in the New Testament. However, it's not just a New Testament plan. It's a plan that's rooted in the Old Testament. And what takes place here is the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Write this verse down, Zechariah 9.9. The prophet Zechariah spoke these words, and I quote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph. Your king is coming. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The king is coming. The king left heaven and he came to earth passionately pursuing you. The king was born of a virgin named Mary in a little old town of Bethlehem. And yes, according to Zechariah, the king is just. He's righteous. He's victorious. This king... He lived the life that you should have lived. He lived the perfect, sinless life. He was a humble lamb, and he comes offering salvation. Salvation for the world. This Savior, this King has a name, and his name is Jesus. This is the plan. Now, some will say that the Old Testament is no longer relevant. We've moved beyond the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament now, but I would have you know this morning that the entire Word of God is relevant. Amen? From Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. The Word of God is relevant. This plan, it was in place long before you and I were ever thought of. This plan was in place long before you were conceived. This plan is not plan B or plan C. No, this is God's plan and it's plan A. And God's plan does not change. As a matter of fact, I would remind you this morning that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you mark my word, His plan will come to fruition. I want you to notice also the location and the details concerning the plan. Jesus and the disciples are near the Mount of Olives. If you look at the picture on the display there, that's a picture that I took standing atop the Mount of Olives, looking at the eastern gate in the city of Jerusalem. They're in the general vicinity of this area. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they are near the Mount of Olives. They're actually in a little town that's two miles from uh, Jerusalem, but they're making their way to Jerusalem. 
If you'll recall from the text we looked at previously in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has left the region of Galilee. He's come down to the area of Jericho and he's making his way to the city of Jerusalem. And that's what we see taking place in the text before us. You see, that picture though, if you were to look at that picture and say, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty picture, Pastor. I can't describe for you what it's like to stand atop the Mount of Olives and look at that. I mean, it's kind of like this. As I was thinking about that, it's a little bit like watching church online. You can watch church online, but it's not be like being in the house of God. Amen? It's kind of that same perspective there. You're able to visualize uh, what the area looked like, what the location looked like. So Jesus, what he does is he sends two of his disciples into this village, and he tells the disciples to find a colt. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. How did Jesus know a colt would be there? They had not recently been in Jerusalem. No, they were coming from Jericho, headed up to Jerusalem. How did Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? You ever thought about that? How did Jesus know Nathaniel's name? Because he's God. How does Jesus know your name? Because he's God. Have you ever thought about this, that right now Jesus knows you intimately better than you know yourself? He knows your thought before you think it. He's no, he knows what you're going to do before you do it. And Jesus said to these two disciples, now the disciples are not named, but he says to the disciples, find and bring me the colt, the colt on which no one has ever sat. Now I don't work with horses or with colts or donkeys, but uh, I have better sense to jump on an animal that's never been ridden. You know what I mean? I know Brian can testify to that. But Jesus specifically gives instructions to find this colt on which no one has yet ever sat. And if anyone says to you, oh, why are you doing this? You say to them, the Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. Did you catch that? The Lord has need of it. The Lord, Master, God, the Messiah, Jesus in the flesh has need of it. And Jesus, some will say, never testified to being God. Excuse me? Have you read the Bible? On Wednesday nights, we're going through a series looking at the I Am statement. Seven times, Jesus says what God said to Moses, I am who I am. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Time and time again, he testifies to the fact that he is God. He is the Messiah. I love the disciples' response here, though, in verse 4. Look at verse 4. The Bible says they went away. The Bible doesn't say anything about the questions that they asked. Now, we would have asked questions. Well, why do you want me to do this, Jesus? What's the reason behind me going to do this, right? But the disciples did not ask any questions. No, Mark tells us that they went away. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed. That's a good word for today, amen? I mean, they followed his instructions. They followed through in obedience. They did not ask the Lord any details. No, they followed through and did what he commanded them to do. Let me ask you this morning, what about you? Are you doing what the Lord has commanded you to do? Well, I go to church on Sundays and I attend Bible study on Wednesday. No, but have you really asked the Lord what he desires for you to do? What is the plan that he has for your life? Yes, we know ultimately your life is to honor and glorify Him, but what has God called you to do? 
How has he called you to minister? Where has he called you to serve? Maybe he's called you to teach a Sunday school class. Or maybe he's called you to use your gifts and talents singing. Maybe he's called you to participate in the community Bible outreach. Perhaps he's called you to serve in the nursery. Don't think for a moment that that's not an important job. We're grateful for those who serve over there. Those who are teaching our little children about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. Don't ever think for a moment the thing you do for Jesus behind the scenes is not important. It's as important as what I'm standing up doing today. Yes, the preaching and teaching of God's Word is important, but it's important to love on little children as well. Matter of fact, Jesus said, Do not prevent the children from coming to me. For such is the kingdom of God. Absolutely. What is God calling you to do? What is the plan that he has for you? It could be as simple as this. Just getting up one Sunday and sharing your testimony. Hey, preacher, I just want to give a, a testimony to what God's done in my life. It can be as simple as that. It can be as simple as going next door to your neighbor and taking them some chocolate chip cookies. Amen? And a glass of milk. And just telling them, you know, I'm your neighbor. I love you and I want you to know Jesus loves you as well. It can be something as simple as that. It can be something as simple as you pointing them by telling your story to his story. Just sharing the love of Jesus with them. The bottom line, though, is they followed through in obedience. And my Bible tells me that obedience is better than sacrifice. The two disciples, they go looking for the donkey. They find the donkey. They untie the donkey. They were approached by some bystanders who said, What are you doing untying the colt? What are you doing? And not only were they obedient in going, they were also obedient in doing. They followed through. They said what Jesus told them to say, the Lord has need of it. What a word, amen? Just tell people what Jesus told you to tell them, amen? <laughs> what did he tell us? To tell them, preacher. About him, the gospel that you hear me proclaim week after week from this pulpit, the good news of the glorious gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The gospel has the power to change lives and to save souls. The preacher can't do that. You can't do that. No human can do that. Only God can do that. Tell them the truth. Share the good news with them. And they gave them permission, the Bible says. They brought the colt to Jesus. They put their coats on it. And they sat on it. Now I want you to visualize this for a moment. A colt that had never been ridden. You take and start throwing stuff on its back. And you have palm branches that you're waving in its face. And the colt's never been ridden. No one has ever sat on the colt. So think about this. The Lord of all creation. The King of glory. Who other... Uh, who at other times had ridden on a boat. I don't know of any other place in Scripture that tells us that Jesus rode on something other than the boat in the Sea of Galilee. And now he's riding on a donkey. Everywhere else he went, he traveled by foot. There's no stretch limousine. There's no envoy. There's no armored vehicles. Listen to this. Just the Creator atop his creation. Just the Creator riding into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, I want you to imagine this from the donkey's perspective. Having the privilege and the honor to transport the king of kings. Can you imagine what that donkey must have been thinking? Hey, 
It's Jesus on top of me there. I'm transporting Jesus. Ha <laughs> ha. Laughing at the other donkeys. No, think about it for just a moment. This donkey belonged to Jesus. It was his creation. It was his donkey. Those disciples, the two, the other ten, they were Jesus' disciples. He came riding in to the city of Jerusalem over the Mount of Olives. The city of Jerusalem. The city of God. That was his city. Think about how all of this ties together. And, and by the way, he was on the Mount of Olives then when he came back the first time. When he came the first time. The Bible tells us in Zechariah as well, chapter 14, that when Jesus comes back again, he will step foot atop the Mount of Olives. Don't think the Mount of Olives is not significant. Absolutely it is. And you see a picture of the city of Jerusalem right there from atop the Mount of Olives. So first what I want you to see is the plan. But notice secondly, I want you to see the praise. I want you to see the praise. We find this in verses 8 through 11. Now, notice how the onlookers respond. They spread their coats in the road. Others spread leafy branches, which they had cut down from the fields. And the people were shouting. Notice what they said. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Here Mark quotes from an Old Testament passage, Psalm 118. According to John Phillips, and I quote, Psalm 118 is remarkable for it forecast of the Lord's rejection. Even as he was riding the crest of the wave, the deep trough on the other side was waiting to receive him. End of quote. Jesus knew what was about to take place. He knew how this would unfold. But what were they saying, preacher? Well, they were saying Hosanna, which according to John MacArthur, means save now. So the people were crying out there to Jesus, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest. In other words, save us, save us now. No doubt it was a joyous occasion. No doubt it was a time of celebration. Now, according to Matthew's gospel, I didn't mention this previously, but this account is found in all four gospels, the triumphal entry. You find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But according to Matthew's gospel, some from the crowd yelled, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We find that in Matthew 21. There were those also in the crowd that cried out with praise. They cried out with adoration. Listen to this. They recognized Jesus for who he is. They recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And they worshiped Jesus. Who was in on this worship? Now this is where we need to pay close attention. Well, the disciples for one, not all of Jerusalem was there worshiping Jesus at the triumphal entry. Now, it's easy to read that and think that, that this is beginning the last week of Jesus' life on earth. And think about it, a, a third of the, the, the Gospel of Mark contains the last week in the life of Jesus. That's what we're in right now from chapters 11 through 16. But not everyone in the city of Jerusalem came to worship Jesus. Not everyone was shouting, Hosanna! But, but who was doing that? Well, we know that a number of people had followed him from Galilee. He had his group of followers. Remember when we were studying Mark's gospel around the Sea of Galilee that on many different occasions, the Bible says that a multitude was following him. So many at one point that people couldn't even get through the crowd. They couldn't even get through the crowd to bring the paralytic. A multitude was following him. So yes, there were those that had heard about him, that had surrendered their life to him, that had come from Galilee, but not everyone was worshiping Jesus. 
Matthew says that when Jesus entered, listen to this, the whole city was stirred up and the people were saying, who is this? So there were still those in the city that were trying to wrap their minds around who this Jesus was. Many were looking for Jesus to save them from Rome. However, they personally wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They certainly didn't believe in him. They certainly didn't believe that he could satisfy the deepest longing of their soul. And they certainly didn't say, here comes the king. You know, the same is true today. There are people today that want Jesus to do something for them, but they have no intentions of doing anything for Jesus. Jesus, what can you do for me? If I go over to Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church, what is that church going to do for me? Why not ask, what can I do for Jesus? What can I do to serve at that church over there? Or that church over there, or wherever that church may be. There were those who praised Jesus, but there were also those who wanted benefits without giving anything. Uh, there were those who wanted to offer praise and adoration. There were those who fell down at the feet of Jesus. And there were those who said, I'm not going to turn from my sin and follow Jesus. You see, they were the ones that wanted the crown without the cross. They were the ones in the crowd that we know as the Pharisees. But there's a lot of Pharisees around today. Even within the church, there are Pharisees. We've seen the Pharisees pop up time and time again through Mark's gospel. You see, they looked pretty on the outside. I mean, they dressed up all nicely. They had their hair parted just right. They had their nose lifted up. I want you to look at me. Hello. Hello. Look at me. Watch me when I pray. Oh, Lord. Pretty on the outside. But what did Jesus say? On the inside, they were full of dead man's bones. Whitewashed tombs is how Jesus referred to them. Their heart was far from Jesus. But on that day, those disciples were praising God. They were worshiping, with, worshiping Him with a loud voice. And you know what that did to the Pharisees? It upset them. They were, they were very mad. They were upset at what the disciples were doing. And, and they said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And you know what Jesus said to them? Listen to this. Don't miss this. He said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. You ever thought about that? I don't know about you, but I don't want a stone praising Jesus for me. I want to use the voice that He's given me and the life that He's given me to praise Him and to worship Him. Amen? If they don't cry out, if they become silent, the stones will cry out. Verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem, came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, He left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Man, didn't you expect Jesus to come into the, the city and, and do something remarkable? He enters the city. They're praising, praising Him. Hosanna in the highest. They're waving the palm branches. He comes through the temple. He leaves and He heads back, the Bible tells us, to Bethany. You can't have peace without the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace 
has a name, and his name is Jesus. We see the plan. We see the praise. But notice third and finally this morning, I want you to see the prophecy. Now, I know I've entitled this point prophecy, and there's a number of prophecies that we find, but I want you to look at what I'm speaking about this morning. We see this in verses 11, I'm sorry, verses 12 through 14, the prophecy. Now, Bethany, we know, was the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Again, Bethany is just a few miles from the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus spent uh, time in Bethany. And uh, according to one writer, Bethany is translated by some to mean house of figs. And what we're going to look at in just a moment pertains to figs. This writer said there are many fig trees and palm trees in that area. So having spent the night in Bethany, Jesus makes his way back to the city of Jerusalem. And, and once again... In these verses, we're able to see the humanity of Jesus. I've pointed this out numerous times before, but Jesus had to eat. Jesus had to drink water. Jesus needed sleep. Jesus got tired, physically tired. Yes, all of those things we see in the life of Jesus because we've got to recognize that Jesus was not only 100% man, but he was also 100% God. So having spent the night in Bethany, he makes his way back to the city of Jerusalem. And, and what he does is he spots a fig tree, the Bible says here in leaf. So from a distance, it appears as though this fig tree is bearing fruit. It would have been very small fruit, but that's what they pick up from a distance. However, when they get close enough, they realize that there's nothing there but leaves. Listen to how John Phillips describes what took place, and I quote. He says, The fig tree had something to say to Christ. It whispered to him sadly about barrenness. This is an extraordinary incident because on this occasion, the Lord performed his only judgment miracle. It was clearly a symbolic act. The fig tree symbolized the nation of Israel. The Lord had come to that nation just as he had now come to the fig tree. The nation was very much alive, carrying on with all its political, social, religious, and economic activities, but it was devoid of spiritual fruit. It had nothing at all to give to Jesus except a cross. The cursing of the fig tree symbolized the subsequent cursing of the Christ-rejecting nation itself. End of quote. The Gospel writer Matthew gives more insight in Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38. Listen to what Matthew says. Jesus speaking, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather you as children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. The prophecy Jesus gives concerning destruction. Not only does he curse the fig tree, he also prophesies concerning what will happen in the near future. You see, the cursing of the fig tree represents the nation of Israel who would ultimately reject Jesus. Now, don't think for a moment, and I don't believe this, that God has raised up the church and Israel is no more. That's not at all what the Bible teaches us. You read the book of Romans chapter 10 and chapter 11. You'll learn very quickly that God has grafted us as the Gentiles in, but there's a remnant that remains. God loves His people. God loves the children of Israel. God loves His own. So in the cursing of the fig tree, Jesus, what He does is He gives a prophecy that would be fulfilled in a few short years. That day, many stood in that temple. Even as Jesus rode by, they paid Him no mind. 
because they were looking at how grand the temple was. They were there worshiping, and many of them were worshiping the temple. What a word for us today. God's blessed us with great facilities here. Don't ever worship these facilities, amen? Don't ever put these facilities above the worship of God. That's idolatry. And anything you continually put before God is just that. So that day many stood in awe at the temple. However, they didn't care much for or want anything to do with the king that came riding through the temple. Their eyes were focused on the physical structure. And that temple that they loved, that they admired, in just a few short years, A.D. 70, would be destroyed. Even today, there's no temple to worship. There's not been a temple to worship a physical structure for 2,000 years. But praise God, we who are in Christ, what does the Bible say? Our body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. He who is in you, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. If we could only echo those words, and those words would land on receptive ears to many today. They cared little for the king who came riding through. But the disciples, the Bible tells us here that they were listening intently. Verse 14, and his disciples were listening. I mean, it struck a chord with his disciples. You and I are able to look back and read the prophecy. We're able to see the fulfillment of the prophecy. And praise God, we have the canon of Scripture today. Never get over that. Don't take your Bible for granted, amen? Take it off the shelf and read it, amen? Study it. Apply it to your life. What a word for us today. So here comes the king. He came to Bethlehem as a babe in a manger. He came to the city of Jerusalem on a colt. He came to a hill called Calvary where he shed his blood for you and for me. He came once. But praise God, he's coming again. He came first as a babe in a manger, but he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. But until that time comes, you ask, what do we do with what we've been given? Well, for crying out loud, you apply it to your life and you live out the gospel and you live in such a way that others can see Christ living in you. Here's the question I want you to take home today. Just ask yourself, what will I do with the king? We see what many did here. But, but what will I do with the king? And I would have you be reminded that Jesus isn't looking for hypocrites. He's not looking for phonies. And I wouldn't dare stand up here today, and I hope you don't believe that your preacher is perfect. Your pastor is perfect because I'm not. I fall short of the glory of God. I say it time and time again, don't put me on a pedestal because if you look at me long enough, I'm going to let you down. But Jesus never will. Fix your eyes on Jesus. But Jesus isn't looking for hypocrites. He's not looking for phonies. He's not looking for half-hearted, part-time Christians. No, he's looking for boys and girls. He's looking for men and women that are sold out for him. That have surrendered their life to, to him and are seeking to follow him each day in faith and obedience. Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying you're not going to make mistakes because you are, and I am too. And so be so thankful for verses like 1 John 1, 9 that say, if you confess your sins, then he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
keep short accounts of sin. When you sin against God, confess it for what it is. And then determine in your heart that you're going to serve Him. That you're going to live in obedience to Him. I've come to learn this over the years. Because if you would have told me years ago, Hey, uh, Brad, one day you're going to be standing up preaching. I would have said, <laughs> You're kidding me, right? I wouldn't even stand up and speak in class. Thought I was going to pass out. But this is what I've come to learn over the years. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. God doesn't, listen to this. God doesn't need your ability. He wants your availability. And when you come to Him and you say, Lord Jesus, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Will you help me to do that? You can take Him at His word. He will lead you and direct you. He's given you the Holy Spirit to indwell you. Praise God. Amen. But what will you do with King Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.